It's a down and dirty episode of Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. And alongside Marin Angus Combs, the Hale Varsity softball writer and a softball coach who just came off of the field. As we sit down to chat, I am Nate Rohr, the voice of Husker softball on the radio and plenty of softball things to discuss. We're not going to get too deep into your team. How'd practice oh, go though? <laughs> so yeah, I am the, I'm the head coach at Omaha Mercy High School and uh, we're doing team camp right now. Mm -hmm. Today was our second day and uh, it was okay. Okay. I, yeah, I was, it's the beginning. I got to take it easy. I can't be expecting them to come out, make no mistakes. State championship level. And, and be ready for the state tournament when they don't know everybody's name. Yeah. So uh, learning names is a good start. Yeah. And names are hard. So, <laughs> uh, but it went all right. All right. Well, my wife is a proud Mercy Girl alum. So she'll be happy to hear the softball program is making progress. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen videos of your kids hitting off tees. So <laughs> maybe we've got some. Uh, I know you got a, you got a girl, right? I've got two of them, uh, Lena two. and Maddie. Maybe and they... maybe I got some future monarchs over in your house. Perhaps, perhaps we shall see. My uh, my son Bobby's the one that's out for t-ball right now, and if we can get him to look at, are, answer me this: Are your players looking in toward home plate as the pitch comes in? They're looking at the ball when it's yeah. coming. Yeah. Okay, well, that beats the hell out of my son. So <laughs> Bobby hasn't messed. We, we got a long way to go with him. All right. Anyhow, we are we are here mainly uh, to talk about college softball, and of course, it's getting into the uh, to the good part of the season as super regional round played last weekend. We have set the field for the women's college world series down in Oklahoma City. Um, just kind of the 30,000 foot view of super regionals. I got to say it was kind of disappointing. I mean, especially yeah. after a great regional round where it seemed, and I forget what the number was, but about half of them went to the, if necessary game, mm -hmm. half the regionals, but super regional, six of the eight were sweeps. Seven of the eight were won by the home team. So, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the parity in the sport and kind of the even nature of things. It didn't show itself last weekend. No, and I think part of it could be this whole conversation of ranking the top 32, mm -hmm. um, which could be something that may help moving forward if this is a, if this is an avenue that the NCAA and the NFCA wants to go towards. But yeah, I have to say, I I was very disappointed. Just, I mean, there were run rules, there mm -hmm. were there a lot of lopsided scores, and for super regional, I really was expecting more game threes. Sure. Uh, well, especially in this round, you're expecting you know high levels of play from both sides, and you know, especially the fact. That home teams dominated, as I said, mm -hmm. seven, seven out of eight home teams advanced. Uh, that speaks to the importance of getting the seeding right, which is why Northwestern at 12 uh, as a national seed still sticks in my craw because they were underseeded. 
Right. Um, Eric Lopez, who hosts um, In the Circle, a, mm-hmm. a podcast like this that has more of a national view of softball, said you, you could you could flip Northwestern, slip them at five mm-hmm. and Bama put them at 12 and nobody would have batted an eye. I'm no. not saying Northwestern should have been five. But they darn sure were better than 12th. And the fact that they were slotted at 12th really gave them a, a rough super regional matchup and put them in a place in, in Tuscaloosa that, that is very difficult to play in. And unfortunately, it was too much for them to overcome. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that really we need to hammer home is that when you go play in Tuscaloosa, you're playing in front of probably Mm 6,000 people, if not more, when they fill the berm and you've got people on the, you know, out in the parking lot and out and beyond like Tuscaloosa is the largest ballpark in, in the country. And then you compare that to Northwestern, the J holds what? Under a thousand, maybe. So when you when you compare and this was something i brought up mm-hmm. uh on social media as well was was that a factor was that a factor sure did they look at northwestern at some point as a five seed and see alabama as a 12 seed and say hey well if alabama hosts we could fit we could get six thousand tickets sold mm-hmm. if we go to northwestern we're only gonna have about a thousand right and it's, it, I'm sure it factored into the bid that both schools were able to put in uh, to host super regionals. And, you know, it, the NCAA wants competitive balance, but they're like every single last one of us. Where's the money? Where's the money? And, and there's a whole lot more money out of 6,000 tickets than 1,000 tickets. Uh, and, and so that really hurt Northwestern. And, and we've talked plenty about Sharon J. Drysdale Field being deficient, uh, especially where it's a national TV series. You know, are the, do they want to drag ESPN to a deficient press box and a place where the camera... Right, the, the product, yeah. right? The product on the field, the product that, that we as softball people are trying to sell mm-hmm. is that we can sell tickets and that we can we can get advertising and we can we can really market this game i mean look at all the people right look mm-hmm. at these stadiums that we're playing in and so if you were to have northwestern host and you're looking at it on tv and you're like huh they don't have lights yeah yeah you know huh what it's not that big yeah um yeah weird and then you flip over to another channel and you look at Norman, right? Sure. Let's look at Norman. And they're replacing that place. And, right. The, like Love's Field opens next year. And so the the comparison is is difficult to make, but the product on TV is what they're selling. Mm-hmm. And the product on TV of what is happening in Tuscaloosa for a softball game is a lot more appealing than the product and Evanston. Absolutely. But all the same, it was a terrific super West. regional. I, I think the argument's pretty solid that that was the best super regional yeah. by a significant margin. It was one of two to go to three games. Uh, Northwestern wins the first game. Danielle Williams pitches well, allows six hits uh, in seven innings. Northwestern 
uh, wins it three to one. Then Montana Fouts really turns it on the last two games this this Super Regional. She actually pitched uh, on Friday night, but it just felt like she settled in more as, as the weekend went on. And as she settled in, Alabama gained strength from her. And, and you know, especially in that environment at the Rhodes House, once the ball starts rolling against you, it's tough to stop. Yeah, and I felt like everyone was just waiting to see Montana Fouts mm-hmm. come into a game. And I have to be honest, I I was impressed to see Alabama get to Supers without Montana Fouts. I was shocked. And so the fact that they were able to do that, that you know that whole team was rallying because of Montana Fouts. Mm-hmm. And they you could see that they were playing for her, trying to get her into a situation where she's not having to pitch from behind. You know, she can pitch with a lead and they can hang on to it. And I just felt like she did a phenomenal job. She, you could see her, you could see how her knee is affecting her a little Mm -hmm. bit. Her velocity was down. Her stride is a little smaller, but she's still throwing it. And sure. And I think seeing, you know, we saw so many iconic moments. I feel like this past weekend with, with teams getting to the world series, but with Montana dropping to a knee and everyone, you know, the dog pile wasn't on top of her. It was around her. (laughs) And I just felt like that was the moment. I think everyone was wanting to see, and it happened. So Montana Fouts comes out of the bullpen in both games, two, one victory on Saturday over Northwestern three, two victory on Sunday for Alabama. Uh, Fouts throws three and two thirds in that one. Where does Northwestern go from here? They lose Gosh. Danielle Williams. They lose Jordan Rudd. They lose Cochran. I mean, that yeah. they, they do have a couple of pieces back, but the vast majority of that team is gone. Yeah. And, and that's why that's another reason why their seating was so frustrating because this was their last dance uh, with that core. With I mean, core. Right. in the end, Northwestern softball is always going to be pretty good. Uh, but, but that core didn't, I think, have the, the chance that they had earned to get back to Oklahoma city. Yeah. And so where do you go from here? You, well, the obvious answer is to look at the transfer portal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, free agency has arrived and, uh, (laughs) place your bid. Uh, but, um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to imagine Northwestern without Daniel Williams and yeah. without Jordan Rudd. But you know, I think we saw this year that Lauren Boyd is ready. Mm-hmm. She's ready for this spotlight. And yeah. I think she can handle it. Um who do, who they have coming in to help her, you know, that it they've got to prove themselves at sure. this level. But Honestly, I feel I if I were Northwestern, I would feel pretty comfortable knowing that Lauren Boyd is going to move into my number one spot next season. Certainly a, a piece you can build with with uh, Northwestern. Uh, it, rebuilding that thing, though, is going to be tough right? yeah. because it takes time there. And, and with the COVID year, um, I think that really played into Northwestern's mm-hmm. advantage because they, you know, the high talent kid doesn't, nor, you know, a talented kid 
can go to Northwestern, but it's rarer that somebody that's just so naturally gifted shows up there. They have to develop their pieces, and they did, and they had time to build all these people up to where now they're starting from square one with everybody. And by the way, everybody's back on the same clock or, or closer to the same clock anyway. And, and so it'll be a tougher rebuild, I think, for, for the draw hands. Not to say they won't get it done, but it's just a little longer road. Yeah, and when I when I look at a program like a Northwestern, you know, obviously they have high academic standards. It's, mm -hmm. The recruiting process is different, but you know, I just want to point out like this super regional round w featured Northwestern, Duke, and Stanford. Mm -hmm. Those are the three three Power Five toughest academic programs sure. out there, and they're all playing, and they're they were all playing for supers. Mm -hmm. So. And we look at Stanford, right? And Alisher has done a great job of building that program basically from the ground up. Yeah. And that's kind of what this class that just left Northwestern was for them. Yeah. Right. They yeah. were the ground up. Yeah. And, um, you know, will they be back in the situation next year? Maybe not. Uh, yeah. And then you look ahead of that. And UCLA comes knocking on the door. <laughs> so, you know, this is going to be a very different, a very different offseason for Northwestern. And it's going to be a different, I think, recruiting trail now. Sure. Yeah, they've, they've got to be a little more aggressive in terms of talent. Uh, but the academic standards are never going to bend there to where they can just you know, grab the five right. best that, that they can. Uh, so that's Tuscaloosa. Bama wins that two games. Twenty. Anything stick out to you about Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, hammered Texas combined score of 14 to two. Uh, I thought the Longhorns had put up a little better fight. I thought Tennessee was clearly the better team mm -hmm. uh, and that manifested itself in, in the super, but I thought the Longhorns had put up a little better fight. Yeah. I've, I, when I turned on the second game of that super, Texas waved the white flag. Yeah. And it just and it kind of broke my heart to see it because Oh, it didn't I, break mine. It broke my heart in a sense of I mean, the right fielder was crying on the field. Oh, sure. After make after you know, running through the 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 ground ball that was hit to clear the bases and the the floodgates opened from there, but Texas is young. Yeah. They're so young. Like, I mean, that the majority of that lineup is freshmen and sophomores. Mm -hmm. So to see them in that situation, being in supers and and getting a national seed with that young talent, I feel like for them, they're just going to be right back in it next year. Yeah. Uh, I think the next step for them is, is hosting a super regional and, you know, that – that's within their reach next year. I mean, if you're sitting 13 now, young team develops a little bit, gets a little something going in non-conference, um, then I think they can play their way up to a top eight national seed. Maybe it was just karma for that second weekend when they stalled out that game against Kentucky. Uh, or I guess it was the opening weekend yeah. when, when they were in extras with Kentucky. Kentucky took the lead. Uh, they were up against the drop dead time and Texas basically did everything they could to stall it. Um, but 
you know, it, it was a walkover. I, Tennessee has been the best team in the Southeastern Conference all season long. And so as you look at that matchup between Bama and Tennessee, I mean, you have to pick Tennessee, don't you? 100%. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, even with a healthy Montana Fouts, mm -hmm. Tennessee is one of the top two hitting teams in the country. And I know Montana Fouts is really good, and I know Montana Fouts is one of the best pitchers in the country, but that offense at Tennessee is potent. Yeah. And I just, I'm amazed at the turnaround that has happened at Tennessee from the last couple of years and to, to win the SEC outright mm -hmm. as the regular season champs and then to win the tournament title. Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm looking at Tennessee going deep run deep. into the series. Yeah. Okay. We can get a, a little farther into the bracket uh, as we go here. Um, two walkovers kind of in the next WCWS matchup. Uh, Florida State just hammered Georgia. Yeah. Uh, 12 to 3 combined score there. Um, you know, Florida. Here's the thing Florida State's your number three national seed, but partially because of Oklahoma's dominance, partially because of UCLA for most of the year being the best challenger uh, to, to Oklahoma, though they got run ruled. I don't feel like Florida State has gotten near the buzz or near the conversation that the other teams in this, in, in this upper, upper tier have. And I, how do, what do you attribute that to? Because it feels like people are sleeping on the knolls. Yeah, I, I've felt the same way, and I've, I've tried to figure out why. Why is it that nobody's talking about Florida State? Mm -hmm. um, honestly, they're a well-balanced team. Yeah. And when I look at Florida State top to bottom, I don't feel like they have that one standout player that mm -hmm. everyone's talking about so when we talk about ucla we automatically talk about maya brady or megan Faremo. when we talk about oklahoma we're talking about jordy ball and we're talking about jada coleman yeah. we're talking about kinsey hansen right this loaded Jennings. star power yeah right every team i feel like has this one person that we're talking about and then when you go watch florida state I just feel like we're talking about everyone equally mm -hmm. and maybe that's playing into it that yeah. there's just no one that's overpowering with this all-star aura. Yeah. It, that, that really draws you, right. you know, leading a great team where, you know, right now one through nine, they're hitting it. Well, maybe Catherine Sandercock, I think maybe yeah. might be the closest thing to that sort of player they had. Uh, she threw the, perfect game in the mm -hmm. regional if necessary game against South Carolina. But even that, even Catherine Sandercock, okay, they're playing South Carolina. Where where was the buzz mm -hmm. in that matchup? It no, was Johnny true. Goburn. Yeah. Everyone was talking about South Carolina. They weren't talking about Florida State. Right. It, and you know, the other part is Florida State has been at this level. You know, where where their College World Series ACC favorite but yet they've not taken that next step to a national championship the last few years. Mm 
Um, obviously, that's been the almost exclusive domain of Oklahoma. But uh, at the same time, they, they've just if they're going to get buzzed, maybe maybe they need to make a run to the final. Um, but I think people have underappreciated them all year, and I agree with and, that. and they have had just such a consistent level of performance, and uh, they're they're going to be a tough out in this World Series. On the other side of that matchup's Oklahoma State, and they killed Oregon combined uh, yeah. seventeen to one. It feels to me like Oklahoma State got right. Yeah. I, I don't know if the pressure of trying to match last year was on them. I don't know if the Oklahoma monster, just the fact that OU was OU, was weighing on them. They fell into the regionals, but once they've gotten into regionals, they've they've dominated. They've yeah. played really well. Yeah, and I felt like the super regional for the Cowgirls was what we were kind of waiting for. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like they were getting close. And unfortunately, I think it started in that regional final. Yeah. Then when they put up nine runs. Right. That yeah. was the beginning. And I think we've just seen them take off from there. Yeah. Oklahoma State has combined 37 and three uh, has won the five postseason games combined 37 to three. They're playing really well. And I, you know, their regional is fairly tough. And Oregon was was a nice team and and maybe a little overmatched. Uh, but you know, OSU was like I said, they, they stumbled into regionals. And apparently the NCAA teams will do one of two things with with going into NCAA. They'll either buckle under the pressure or they'll take a deep breath and they'll go, well fresh start here we go and it's kind of interesting talking to the osu people when we were down there they mentioned that kenny gaieski makes it a point school's usually out the week uh you know when the big 12 tournament goes on that's usually the last week of school so he makes it a point before regionals give them a day they all go to a lake in oklahoma uh, as kind of a reward kind of a reset kind of a deep breath and and they did that this year mm -hmm. and, and you know normally the fact that they do it normally the fact that they do it every year made it a part of their routine but it was probably more needed this year than any other year for all the struggles they had down the stretch yeah and you know you you look at you look at their lineup right now uh, with rachel becker doing what she's doing kelly maxwell arguably one yep. of the best pitchers right and then enter Lexi Kilfoyle. Yeah. So I just, I feel like we're looking at a very dangerous Oklahoma State team right now. If, and if they carry their momentum into Oklahoma City, that's the other thing. They get to stay at home. Right? Yeah, sure. I mean, they're used to playing at Hall of Fame Stadium that, you know, Oklahoma, the Oklahoma fans will dominate ASA Hall of Fame Stadium. But, Oklahoma State fans will find their way in too. So this this matchup between Oklahoma State and Florida State in the first round of of, of the College World Series, I think it's going to be highly compelling. Yeah, I I'm anticipating. Honestly, I would think it'd be low scoring. Sure. Because for them, we're we're talking about Kelly Maxwell and Catherine Sandercock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that's. Uh 
that's an A-list pitching matchup. That's that's an old school pitching matchup yeah. where, where you've got two headliners just duking it out. So I, I agree with your your idea that this is going to be a low scoring first round game and and a good start to the world the uh, World Series. Now let's go out west. Washington shut out Louisiana twice, eight nothing and two nothing. Uh, and Ruby Malin, guest of the podcast last week, pitched well, uh, pitched in both games, uh, threw threw five shutout innings on two hits. Uh, in game one and then in game two uh, she pitched the the seventh so she got the save and I think provided the the enduring image from the first two weeks of this regional she more or less broke down in tears yeah after clinching the college world series but yeah for Washington that first game I don't think I was expecting a run rule to happen just mm-hmm. immediately, right? We Louisiana fought so hard to win their region down mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge. I just I was I was a little surprised. Like they didn't have more oomph. On the other hand, here here's the case for for the Ragin Cajuns. Uh you've got the regional in Baton Rouge, which is always going to be emotionally charged for them. Uh they they rallied to win that region. Then you have the cross-country travel. There, there's not a regional that's farther away from them than the Seattle Super Regional. Uh, so were they, they might have been emotionally spent. And, and here's the other thing, you know, as, as Louisiana, and you don't want to rip on mid-majors too much, but you're not used to knocking down one challenge, one elite foe, and then having to gear back up and do it again. Yeah, but here's the argument to make is that Louisiana thought they were deserving of a national mm-hmm. seed. They had a high, their RPI was high. Mm-hmm. Uh, they performed well. They thought they were going to get a top 16 seed. Now, as a top 16 seed, if you feel like you're deserving of it, mm-hmm. you need to play like it. And I felt like once they made regionals, I think Washington showed us that maybe Louisiana really wasn't the national seed. We, some people thought they were. Yeah. Oh, you know, I don't know if we can draw that assumption from, from them not playing all that well at Washington. They got shut out completely. Yeah, they did. You can't win if you can't score. No, that's true. I, and I don't know. I, I'm of two minds of that because you're right. They got dominated. And, and when when a team like that goes on to a national, a big national stage, uh, especially after a conference season that, that doesn't really catch your eye and doesn't, you know, there's not much to the Sun Belt uh, in terms of elite teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty much Louisiana and that's it. And the fact that they get shut out for the weekend, that, that's a pretty big slap in the face, uh, especially for a program like Louisiana that, that usually is one of the best in the country offensively. On the other hand, they did what they did this season. And, you know, I, I don't know if they should have been a, a top eight national. See, they shouldn't have been. But... I, I think their resume had them 15th, 16th, something like that. And, and in that scenario, I 
I would like to at least see them get a shot to win a regional at home because it felt like they spent a lot of energy to get out of Baton Rouge. Yeah. And, and, and they just couldn't gear it back up the following week against Louis uh, against Washington. Now, on the other hand, if you're elite, if you are an Oklahoma city worthy program, you find a way, you find and, a way and they just didn't yeah. do it. Yeah. So Washington advances, um, the other West coast regional, uh, super regional Utah and San Diego state. Speaking of mid majors, the only other super to go three games but, you know, San Diego State wins game one. It felt like Utah took that shot on the chin and said, yeah. okay, we're, we're the better team here. We, yeah. And we need to play like it. And they won 10-1 and 7-2. Yeah. So the first game, I, I was thrilled to see San Diego State win. I think a lot of people probably were just because they've never been there before. Sure. They've never been there before. Mm-hmm. All right. Now. You go into game two thinking, okay, San Diego State, like, what are you going to do? Because you're up one nothing mm-hmm. in this series. And they were so tight. Yeah. They played so tight. And I think on the, on the broadcast for game three, they even mentioned that Stacey Newman-Denise, the head coach of the Aztecs, said she was tight. Yeah. And it felt like because the coaches were tight, it was – spilling out into the players and so everyone was tight and you can't play that way mm-hmm. and those are those are mistakes happening that shouldn't be happening that's swinging at pitches you shouldn't be swinging at and and honestly mariah lopez pitched every single pitch for utah yeah. i mean i just i was like okay you've seen her nine times now like but you gotta you figure, gotta her figure out. it out um, credit to where credit is due. And that's Paige Parker, the pitching coach at mm-hmm. Utah. That's DJ Gasso, the associate head coach at Utah. I mean, it's an Oklahoma party over in, in Utah right now. So, um, and that's, I think that's why Amy Hogue brought them there, right? Because mm-hmm. they are of, they are Oklahoma Sooners, right? They have been right. there. They've won national championships. They've learned from some of the best coaches in in the country and they're taking what they learned at the top program and instilling that into Utah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Utah's got some fertile ground growing in the PAC 12, Um, you know, a program that's kind of an undervalued asset. Yeah. It it seems like there's a good amount of passion and backing for softball. You, you just don't know. If a program succeeds, will the fans come out? Well, Utah's fans packed that stadium. First time they had an opportunity uh, to host a super regional, and they hosted regionals as well, obviously. So you've got you've got real estate, you got players, you've got the right in terms of coaching. Uh, you have a conference that provides you some runway. Um, I think they, they're riding the momentum of having won the Pac-12 tournament. I think that gave them a real boost. Yeah. It'll be interesting. You know, I don't know that we'll ever hear this from the Pac-12 coaches. I wonder what they thought of, of how the conference tournament affected them. Mm-hmm. UCLA, of course, gets knocked out in the finals. But, you know, UCLA 
getting to the finals, that should be something yeah, that they sit there and go, oh, we're okay. Uh, you know, Stanford wasn't all that great. Washington wasn't all that great in that tournament. Didn't hurt them. But boy, I think it's really helped Utah. Absolutely. And I think Utah winning that, like you said, the momentum they got from winning that tournament, they've just run through this postseason. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly, I think I'm most excited to see Utah in hmm. the World Series. Interesting. Yeah. It, it, how will they react to this big stage? I think that's the big question because Utah's not a program that starts out talking about the Women's College World Series. Although, again, because of Paige Parker and, and uh, JT Gasso. Uh, JT, DJ. Or love. DJ, what, you're right. Which one is it? I, I think it's DJ. Let's, th- let's ask the Google machine really yes. quick before we... Um, before we go on. Before we, we, we go on. Credit the lad for, for what he's done. How about that, though? Paige Parker is the pitching coach at Utah. Michelle Gascoigne, pitching coach at, at uh, Northwestern. So two Oklahoma number two pitchers. So it is DJ yep. Gasso. Pardon me. I don't know why I had JT. Because he's at Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's why. I'm getting my al- alphabet soup mis- uh, <laughs> mixed up. Anyhow, Gasso boy, the Gassos Gasso. know how to coach uh, softball. I think I think we've established that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of which, OU, they they win both games of their Super Regional. You mentioned, though, that you were a little disappointed in them. I was. I, well, here, am I disappointed in, a, in Oklahoma or am I disappointed that nobody can beat them? Huh. <laughs> like, which one? I don't know which one it is because as I'm watching game two of the Oklahoma Clemson series, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to see a game three. Yeah. It just felt that way. I mean, Kinsey Hansen hit a game tying home run on a ball that was at her eyeballs out and off the plate, and mm. she pulled it to left field. I was just like, okay, never mind. Yeah. You know, Oklahoma just has that soul crushing dominance yeah. right now <laughs> i mean they're ahead three or four runs when they step on the field yeah. uh, you know the one thing that might trip them up is just the pressure that's on them because everybody is expecting them to win right uh, they certainly have the talent to go through this women's college world series but expectations can be a funny thing and, and you wonder that first game that they're, you know, whether it's the Stanford game in the first round or, or later in the bracket, they're down two, nothing, three, nothing, you know, do they tighten up? Right. Do they get afraid? Because now you have the weight of a winning streak on your back and the expectations you've had since day one of a national title. And I also think we saw in game two of that series, what it happens when they are in a close game. Here's the thing. They don't play in many close games. No. So, and I think that is honestly detrimental to your team by the time you get into postseason when you don't have the experience of playing in tight games, playing from behind. Mm-hmm. Um, they made they made three errors in that game. Oof. Yeah. And with Brito making two errors in one inning at third base. I think one was called a hit, but like, let's be real. 
scoring is screwed up right yeah, now. Yeah, scoring can, so, can be home cooking. Yeah. So realistically, Brito made two errors in that one inning, and that was the inning where Clemson ended up taking the lead. Mm-hmm. So, but also, you know, I mean, they Clemson Clemson did a good job. They hung in there. They, and they Valerie Cagle. Valerie Cagle was named player of the year yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at the super regional field and we, like we say, Louisiana could have been a 16 seed. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why Clemson was a 16 seed. Yeah. And it was because the player of the year should be on a team at a national seed team. Sure. And, and that was, that was what happened. Um, they scored the most runs on Oklahoma this year. Yeah. Put up seven in the uh, Saturday game. Which I think once was... they hit three, once they hit two, oh, I don't. Boy. I was it was it was some stupid stat like that. I'm gonna call it a stupid stat because it is. Like once they yeah. hit, it was like four. I think they scored four runs, and all of a sudden I'm hearing that's the most anyone scored on Oklahoma <sighs> this year. I'm like, okay, that's mm-hmm. their level of dominance. That it, it's just so overwhelming to see them to put their lineup in your mind and go, well, geez, how do you get through this? And there's no, there's nowhere to breathe. No, not at all. Not at all. When you're on defense, when you're pitching, I can't imagine being a pitcher against Oklahoma because no. you're thinking normally once you get through one through six, you've got a few batters to breathe with seven through nine. Mm-hmm. Not with them. Uh-uh. No, it, it's terrifying. Yeah. So, OU advances out of the Norman Super Regional. They'll face the Stanford Cardinal, the only uh, road team to win at Super. They swept Duke, held them to three runs, and to top it all off, they beat them at the crack of dawn on Saturday in a game, moved up to avoid bad weather. Impressive showing out of Stanford. Honestly, um, Jessica Allister just has done wonders mm-hmm. with that program that's her alma mater she's and she's doing things with stanford that we saw her do with minnesota yeah and so i think this was this is ex- almost expected right last year mm-hmm. they lost in supers um this year they've made it to the world series and with nigeri kennedy she's the freshman player of the year yeah um i think this is a good matchup and i say this because we saw Clemson as a team Oklahoma hadn't faced give them a run for their money and Oklahoma has not played Stanford so I think when they see someone that they haven't played when they see a pitcher they have never faced Mm -hmm. uh, that it can change the outcome a little bit it can certainly take them a little while to to get their footing and and get into it well let's take a look at the WCWS bracket we've kind of dipped our toe into it but OU Stanford begins it, the uh, one versus the nine seed. You said Stanford has a puncher's chance. I do. And, you know, I would think game one, they're going to come out with Jordy Ball and Nigeri Kennedy. I don't Mm. see why not. Yeah. Um, Unless unless Patty decides to go (laughs) Storaco as a senior. Yeah, a real Um, drop off. Right. Yeah. Uh, as is, as the the super senior of the pitching staff, she yeah. could go Storaco, but 
as of right now, Jordy's your your ace, and Nigeria Kennedy is the ace of the Stanford staff. And I don't see why that we don't see that matchup immediately. Oof. Uh, that'll, that'll be a fun start to the series. You've got Bama, Tennessee. We talked a little bit about that matchup. Uh, Florida State, Oklahoma State. I I don't know where to go with that one because, like I said, FSU's kind of ridden under the radar, but is a really good team. Oklahoma State's about as hot as anybody right now. I think I'm going to go Florida State, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I, I they're just so good. They're yeah. they're so good, top to bottom, every position. They're solid. I I just think, and I think maybe it is they you know they flew under the radar. Maybe that's going to help them. And they're they're going to be hungry to show that hey we're we're as good as right. Oklahoma. We're we're a top tier team. Then Washington and and Utah, Pac-12 rematch. I have to give a real edge to Washington here. Having been on the stage, uh, having been a program that expects to get there, I I think the Huskies have have the edge in this one. Yeah, and at the the same time, I think the Utes are playing with house money. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think that if we look at this field, of eight teams, Utah is the team that sticks out to me with the least amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Absolutely. Especially, you know, Stanford might be the one, the one also that that's kind of sitting there going, okay, we've exceeded our expectations because, you know, looking at the rest of the field, obviously Oklahoma, uh, Tennessee, Bama, Oklahoma State expected to be here. Florida State expected to be here. Washington expected to be here. So I I think you're right in saying that Utah is sitting there going, well, what do we have to lose? I, I just think that stage is so big. I mean, you, you think about it. So so think about it in the, these terms. Your biggest stadiums in SEC baseball hold nine, 10,000 people. Uh, Charles Schwab Field holds 25,000, so two and a half times. Mm-hmm. The women's series, uh, o- OG&E Field, OG&E Energy Field down uh, in, in Oklahoma City, I believe they can get 10,000 yeah, in there. Yeah, it's just over 10,000 now. And and the biggest crowd you're playing in front of in the Pac-12 is two or three. I mean, that's, that's three to four times bigger. So I just... And obviously, that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but I, I just think the stage is, is going to be a lot for Utah and for Stanford to take in. I think they're two good teams, but I, I just don't – if I had to pick who my two and Qs would be, I, I think those are your your most likely suspects, and not just because they're the lowest seed. I know. It's easy. Well, but. those two also rely on two freshman pitchers. Sure. Right? So not, not fresh. Well, Stanford's a freshman pitcher, but Mm -hmm. there's my argument for Washington because Ruby is a freshman, right? Right. So that's why when I look at this Washington, Utah matchup, Ruby hasn't been on this stage. That's true. She's manifested her dream. Right. But she hasn't been there yet. Yeah. So how does she, how does she handle that pressure? And, so for me, when I'm looking at these two matchups of Utah, Washington, Stanford, Oklahoma, I like Utah in a sense of it's a veteran mm-hmm. lineup. They're doing this all together for the first time. Yeah. Um, and you've got 
you've got that Oklahoma coaching staff, right? Mm -hmm. You have some experience of what this is like coming from your coaches. And then when I look at Stanford and Oklahoma, Oklahoma's been there. Sure. They've been there. They know what's happening. Stanford hasn't. Um, you know, like you're not expected to win. So why, why put a lot of weight on why? This? Yeah. Why put the extra pressure on yourself to win when nobody else does? <laughs> That's fair. All right. Give me your bracket picks. Bracket one winner, bracket two winner. And then how do you think the championship series will go? Well, obviously, I have to say Oklahoma will probably be playing for a national title. <laughs> uh, most likely. Yes. Uh, but what's funny to me, are we still doing cross bracket? Uh, yeah, they, they cross bracket. Um, Semis is yeah. a cross bracket, right? Yep. So, could we see Tennessee? Ooh, yeah, we could. Uh, if uh, we could, but I trying to think where they would. <laughs> yeah, they they drop after losing in the semis. The, the loser of the semis drops. So, assuming OU and Tennessee win their first round games, if OU beats Tennessee. Tennessee goes down mm -hmm. to the other bracket. So is that where you're going? I'm leaning that way. Okay. I'm leaning that at, at least that's what I would like to see. <laughs> um, I think it's so weird that I'm saying that, but that's what I l would like to see. Um, if, if I'm just basing this as off of brackets, like, like what we have in front of us, mm -hmm. then my gut instinct is, uh, OU and Florida State. Uh, so you're picking OU, Florida State. Yeah. Uh, how many games? Two or three? Two. OU and two. Okay. I think there's a run rule in there, too. Oof. Yeah, the Sooners are a machine right now. I, obviously, I'm picking Oklahoma out of that top bracket. I'm very tempted to take Oklahoma State. I thought about that as well. They're playing really well. They're Could you imagine Bedlam Whew. for a national Whew. title? For a national championship. Last year we got Red River and we could get Bedlam. Yeah. You know what? I'm picking it. You're doing I, it. I'm going with the Pokes uh, out of the bottom bracket against Oklahoma. Give me the Sooners in three. Ooh. Because, you know, I Oklahoma State played them fairly tough. I I feel like they're due to get one against OU. They're playing well, so I'll ride with the Pokes to the finals, and then I'm hopping off the horse because Oklahoma is my <laughs> pick. <laughs> Oklahoma's just better, but Oklahoma State's good. Uh, I I think they're they're peaking. Um, I think they'll draw something from the atmosphere. So yeah, that that's my pick. I'll take OSU out of the other bracket against Oklahoma, then the Sooners in three. So. Hopefully a compelling and exciting Women's College World Series ahead of us, and we'll take it all in. We will take next week off so that we can wrap up the Women's College World Series, and we'll be back in two weeks with the final episode for 2023 of Behind the Plate 
with Marin and Nate. Until then, for Marin Angus Combs, this is Nate Rohr saying thanks for listening. Talk to you again in a couple weeks.